I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, a podcast listener request. We've had Hinch on Channel 7 and Channel 10 and Hinch live on Sky. But what about the other shows he's been on? Beauty and the Beast, City Homicide and Dancing with the Stars. Darren, this podcast we're doing uh, today is uh, has been sparked by someone who's sent you a message wanting to know a little bit more about you know the behind the scenes of the TV shows that you've been involved with. Now, you, you've largely been a newspaper animal, then you became more of a radio animal, but you have done quite a bit of uh, television. Um, I notice uh, in the last couple of uh, weeks there's been a bit of debate. Uh, hey, hey, it's Saturday. Have you caught up with that controversy? And yes, yes, I have. And uh, I noticed that uh, Daryl Summers was saying that um, that the stuff, what they talked about and got away with back then, couldn't be politically correct these days. And it is right. Um, but also, um, Kamal has come out now. Um, why are people so unkind? Uh, and he's come out and saying virtually, why are people so unkind? Because he said he, he when he was on Hey Hey as a regular, he was the butt of many jokes. And uh, his race is, uh, was was a butt of jokes. Um, and he said he wore it because if he'd complained, he wouldn't be on television. And that was just part of the, the time. I mean, a good example, and he wouldn't do it now. John Blackman, who was the voiceover man for for Dickie Knee, etc. Apparently, according to Kamal, at one stage, uh, somebody threw a, p- a plate of uh, of flour or something into Kamal's face, and he's standing there with flour over his white flour over his face, and Blackman is the voiceover man. Somebody said, oh, "There you are, Kamal. Now you're a real white man." Yeah. Well, look, I can see how that's disgraceful. Uh, and mm. I think I would have thought that was... I don't remember seeing that, but I would have thought no, that was disgraceful at the time. But other stuff, I mean, your friend... But see, see black, black, blackface was accepted for decades. Yeah. You know, white men in blackface was accepted for decades. And now you look at it and say that people are now... Even the Canadian Prime Minister has been, uh, been mauled for appearing at a, at a function once in blackface. I think I may have said before... When I, was, I hope the picture doesn't come out again. When I was a kid, we, we didn't have much money, and so I had to go to my, my local fancy dress ball. And uh, my mother sent me there in a white sheet with a cardboard white hat on. Oh, my God. <laughs> as, as a, and, I, and she misspelled it. She wrote Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> well, it's Ku Klux Klan, but I, I had no idea. And there I was, Darren Inch, at about age of 10, at a fancy dress ball, dressed as a Klansman. Well, your your friend and uh, my colleague, and I guess a friend as well, Darren James. Um, yeah. He he does a magnificent impersonation of uh, Kamal, and the line, you know, why are people so unkind? Um, I, I've always laughed at that because to me that's that's funny. I don't think that's attacking Kamal because of his race. He's got no, this big, because, because, be- beautiful he, voice. Kamal was, yeah, and also Kamal was. Was 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 an easy listening, smooth mu- music sort of star, and was an easy target for for people to, to pick on. And the, the so unkind thing that wasn't racial, but the, some of the other stuff was. You know. 
Yeah, and and some of the other stuff on Hey Hey Saturday at the time we we I mean I'm I'm sure I laughed at stuff, but we didn't think in those terms that are now sort of becoming clearer as time goes on when people complain and and you know if someone's been humiliated and they're saying they've been humiliated, then you accept that they've been humiliated and you don't do it again. Yeah, I mean, I, but, I but look, but I I think we're getting we're moving too far too fast. I mean. I occasionally, even on my diet, I occasionally will be guilty of nibbling on a golden gay time. <laughs> now, when I eat a gay time, I don't think of gays. I don't. Think, I think of ice cream, you know. And uh, and gay time's been around for decades before gays took on the term gay. I mean, a golden gay time means a happy, happy, happy ice cream. A golden happy ice cream, you know. So, I think uh, I can understand. Why they changed the name of Coon from Coon Cheese? Uh, because even though the the so-called inventor was his name was Coon, but since then it's become a derogatory term for African Americans, and uh, so therefore I can understand why they want to change it now. Um, you know, because uh, you know, ironically, I'm spitting off here for a bit. I was watching um, how things change. I was watching a uh, a television show the other night, and it was. Um, uh, a, a, a talk show recorded just after the death of Bobby Kennedy, right? So that's 50 years ago. 1968 we're talking 1968, about. 1968, yes, June 5, 1968. Uh, and I was there. Um, anyway, well, uh, covered it. Anyway, um, they were talking and there were black and white people on the panel. It was the, the cabinet. The Cavett show. Dick Cavett, great Dick guy, Cavett. great great interviewer yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, and but it made me flinch. I, was, I watched it completely because it was about Bobby Kennedy, and it made me flinch when both African Americans and white people on the program referred all the time to Negroes, and you wouldn't hear that term used anymore, ever, you know. And it's so things do do change and they do clean up, but uh, that was just an expression, you know, that uh, that you you. You would, you, you would use it at, at the time, and yeah. and nobody flinched at it at all. Yep. Darren, uh, let's talk about these Money. TV shows. The one I want yeah. to talk about, let's start with this one, because I, I, I watched you and I, I was it was very, very amusing. <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, of course, I've just come back from having Dancing with the Stars, All Stars, and <laughs> they decided I obviously wasn't an All Star, so I didn't get invited back, but... And I wouldn't have gone on anyway because it takes too much time. But um, Dancing with the Stars, I was on the second uh, episode. That's how long ago it was. And John Wood was on the first one, the actor. And I think they needed an older person as part of the team every every show. So they put John Wood on first and then me on second. I thought I'd be out within, within a couple of weeks, right? Uh, I, can, I can do the Maori shuffle. That's the only dance I really know well. But... Um, I remember every week I'd say, please vote me off. I just want to go home. I want to go home because they'd vote me on. I stayed on for about six weeks, you know. And the thing was, the so-called stars, most of them were out-of-work actors and entertainers who had plenty of time to rehearse, etc. I was doing a, a nightly radio show on 3AW. I'd get off air at 6 o'clock having interviewed the Prime Minister and race in a, in a waiting car to Channel 7 and be on air, made up and ready to go and dressed at 7.30. Um, and so I'd rehearse twice a week with Patrice Smith, who was uh, my dance partner and a, a dance teacher at the time. And she's very good and she made things look, look good. Um, 
Although one, one episode, I think Todd gave me a, Todd McKinney gave me a two <laughs> out of ten. Uh, but I, it was, and ironically, right now I couldn't remember one of those dances. I sometimes will hear a song being played on radio and think, oh, I danced to that. You know, um, my famous one was um, speaking of Todd McKinney. We did Peter Allen's "I Go to Rio," and. Uh, I appeared dressed in the white ruffled shirt and the whole lot, you know. And there's a fault with my mic. So at the last minute, I had technicians grabbing my costume and fixing my mic. I did the whole routine with my fly undone, right? <laughs> which, which Daryl Summers pointed out in the live on television. And I just said, yeah, I did that because I thought I might get more votes from Todd. <laughs> Now, did you know the fly was undone and you couldn't do anything about it? Or no, I knew did... nothing until Daryl pointed it out. I, I assumed that when, when, you, when you're doing showbiz and television, you just stand there. You know, I mean, Jackie Weaver, when she's doing a couple of shows, I think they're playing our song, she would be virtually stripped naked off, off stage while they put a new costume on it, you know, um, and you just, you, just, you just do it. You stand there and they text, just do what they have to do. Um, I mean, women have mics microphone things stuck down their bras. Unbelievable. Look, I remember seeing Rosemary Morgan doing a Red Spot Safeway, at filming it, an advertisement at a Safeway store, mm. and we were young kids because I worked at the Safeway store. Mm. And I remember the technician just lifting up her skirt, putting sort of this wire up her skirt, thinking, there's no dignity in this. It's quite amazing. No, no dignity. No. Well, Jackie said, well, don't worry, the, 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 the dresser was gay, so she wasn't too worried, but... Um, <laughs> You're quite right. There's no dignity. You just you stand there and they put dress you and they stuff stuff down and put things in your ear and a thing on your back or on your bum and there we go. But Dancing with the Stars, it was fun to do. Um, but did, I did last a long, long time. I'm not. Sh I wasn't always sure that the voting was accurate, to be honest. Uh, but I, I do. I keep saying I want to go home, <laughs> and they thought that was enough to keep me on. Well, how, how hard is it? Because you know you, you want to it's be. Bloody hard. It's yeah. bloody hard. Yeah, you got you got to memorise all these all these steps, you know. And when you're doing things like the cha cha or or this, I mean, we'd all we, as kids we, we we all did a bit of jive and we all did uh, could do the waltz and the foxtrot, you know. But when you have to learn these steps, and I, I and I get off work on a Friday night off of 3AW, and then go and spend two hours with Patrice and just learning how to, what to do, you know, and it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard work, but it was, it's an entertaining show and it, it worked very well and I look forward, to, actually I'll watch it uh, probably when it comes on very soon. The, the thing that I liked about it is it, it took someone like you out of your comfort zone and put, put you in a different uh, situation. Now, you, you know, you've done TV and radio for years, you know, at interviews, so you probably don't get nervous. But when you were dancing, and, and it's live too, it's not like, you know, if you were totally crap, they would just cut you out. <laughs> it went to air live, is that right? That's right. It was live. It was live. And uh, when you, if, you got, if you forgot a step, you had to try and cover, you know. I always did what I call the Maori shuffle, and that got me out of some, some <laughs> trouble. But I, you know, I, I'm I, sure. I, I'm sure there's some video of this on uh, on, on YouTube on somewhere. YouTube, if you, sure. yeah, there is. I've, I've, somebody sent me one the other day of one of my one of my efforts. You know, so the funny thing I was I was, I was giving a speech at a luncheon recently, which reminds you of Dancing with the Stars because some guy said oh, he's coming to this luncheon. Darren Hinch is speaking, 
And his son, and he said to his son, oh, you wouldn't even know who he was. And his son said, oh, yeah, Dad. And the old, he's alleged, Dezza. You know, um, <laughs> he said, oh, he was in the Wog Boy. So I said, 60 years a journalist and I'm, I'm, I'm known for being in the Wog Boy movie. You know? Well, that's the other, that's the other the thing I wanted to talk to you about in regard to this TV. I know it's not TV, it's a film. Mm. Um, uh, you've told that story before where people recognise you not from what you've done journalistically but from just being on the walk. How did that all happen? Uh, well, how, I, was living, I was living in Adelaide at the time and uh, the funny thing is I just... Um, probably stupidly just accepted a bet from the Adelaide Police Department that I'd shave my head if they put $25,000 into charity. And they got the twenty five grand, so I had to shave my head. So I'm, so when I made the Wog Boy movie, I'd forgotten all about that, that I'd contracted to do it. And uh, so my hair was just growing out. It was only about an inch long. <laughs> so that's why I'm very short-haired in the Wog Boy. Um, but... In, the, the best part about it for me was that uh, we're filming in Melbourne and uh, we're doing one scene and uh, with Nick Giannopoulos, who was a producer and director and, and the owner of the movie. And I suddenly, I'm doing a scene with Nick, and he was a star, a star of the movie. I grabbed his pen and said, hey, listen, give me this. And I grabbed the script and there's a line I was meant to say and I wrote in, shame, 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 which... I'd never said, um, that was the first time I ever said it because Visard said it as Hunch. I never did. I mean, the closest I came to it was when I interviewed Malcolm Fraser about why Australia was still recognising Pol Pot in Cambodia, in Capuchia. And it was, we were still recognising Pol Pot in the United Nations to appease China. And I remember saying to, uh, to Fraser, why are we doing this? I mean... We've got proof that the man has killed 1.9 million of his own people and we recognise him in the United Nations. And Fraser looked down that nose of his, which I used to refer to as the statue of the Easter Islands, um, and he looked at his nose and said, well, that's the way it just is. It is. And I said, well, shame, Australia, shame. And that's as close as I ever got. And then Visard picked it up and turned it to shame, shame, shame. And I've been, I've been had it shattered at me for the last thirty years. Oh, you've been, you've been known for that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and well, I never said it. So until the Wog Boy movie, when I took the pen and said to Nick, "Let's do it," and I did shame, shame, shame. Did they have so, a, a premiere for that movie? The oh, Wog I think Boy. They did. I can't remember. Well, I think we did. The reason I'm asking is, you know, what's it like? Um, uh, watching yourself on a big screen in a picture theatre and, you know, and there's your head, you know, 15 times real or maybe 50, 50 times real. Uh, and you see yourself in, I mean, you look in the mirror, but you don't see yourself like a movie camera sees you. Look, it, it is weird and uh, it is very weird, but it reminds me of a, a story when Jackie Weaver made a movie um, called Squizzy, Squizzy Taylor, the story of the Melbourne gangster, right? And she played a, uh, a girlfriend uh, who was raped uh, in the movie. And Jackie and I are at the premiere of Squizzy and we're sitting in a theatre and I'm watching her being assaulted in the movie and when the scene finished, I'd almost drawn blood in her hand by squeezing it so tightly with my fingernails. I was just so, I was so distraught watching her 
in this movie. I just couldn't couldn't face it. You know? So you're, it is it's is a weird sensation. It must be for for any actress to do that. And and ironically, in real life, when I first met her, Jackie Weaver was one of the most shy people I've ever met in my life. Mm. That surprises me. She'd almost stand behind me at a cocktail party because really? she's always she, had this bubbly personality. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 a big smile the size of Luna Park, you know. But but she really was one of the shyest people you could ever meet, you know. And oh. she still goes, "Gosh, golly gee!" I remember when she first got like, in Hollywood, she suddenly sends me a text, "I've got a trailer," <laughs> you know. Like she's a suddenly a Hollywood star, and you get a, you get a, your own trailer, and she's like, "Gosh, I've got my own trailer," and so she's still she's still enamoured by it, which is which is very very. Uh, a very affectionate thing. To well, well, I was flicking through Netflix the other day trying to find something to watch and uh, she appeared in some movie about uh, elderly people in Florida or something. I've forgotten oh, what the name of that uh, was, but it was with... Yeah, that, 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 that wasn't um, Poms, was it? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. All these, all these old girls in a nursing home or an aged care centre start their own... Um, um, cheer squad. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was. I, I went through it. I enjoyed it actually. Yeah. Well, and she's got the American accent. I mean, I, I thought oh. I thought she was American. You well, know. I'll tell she, you, my, my best. Story, she, her vocal coach. She made a movie called um, uh, Silver Lining Playbook, in which they all got Academy Award nominations for four of them for best actor, best supporting actor. Her vocal coach said, "You have the best accent." adaptation I've ever heard, you know? And I'll tell you a story about this. She was making a movie in, uh, in I think, Saint-Tropez with Woody Allen, and she was in the makeup room, and the, and the, the hairdresser was Australian from Sydney. And so she and Jackie had this amazing conversation you know, about Sydney and this and this and this. And then Jackie got made up and she left. And the makeup lady said to the hairdresser, that was dreadful, wasn't it? She said, why? She said, weren't you insulted? She said, why? She said, well, that Jackie Weaver, I didn't think she'd do this. She spent the whole time mocking your accent. She talked, <laughs> she talked like an Australian. <laughs> and the hairdresser said, she is Australian. <laughs> and the makeup lady said, no, she's not. She's American. <laughs> and That's so funny. Her, so she, she's so good at accents. I mean, she does a southern accent like you you would never believe she wasn't. She must have, uh, you know, a wonderful ear to That's right. She has the ear for it. Stuff. She picks it up and every little cadence she could pick up, you know, and so it's good. I mean, ironically, I'll tell you a, a tip about acting. She and I did, as you would you would know, we did the, um, the video for You're the Voice for John Farnham. Yes. We played a married couple and we... Uh, our little daughter was sitting there looking very glum and as we had this huge shit fight and uh, then Jackie throws a plate of food at my head and smashes against the wall. And I just got off air at 3AW at noon and we race it down to do the video in Melbourne. And after a couple of takes, I said, look, I'm a bit worried, you know, because I'm not the greatest voice in the world that I won't have any voice left by if we do 10 takes by the time we get on air tomorrow. And she said, don't speak. I said, what? She said, just mime it. And so what you see on, you see me screaming at her on your the voice, not a word is being uttered. It's all, it's all mimed. It's all mimed. And then the voice is put in at the end. 
Where? No, 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 because he didn't hear us. We just saw you watched oh, us anyway. Oh, right. And he, right. his song went over the top of us. But, oh, I see. Um, so all, I looked angry and I was screaming profanities at her, saying, you effing Darby, 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 but I wasn't actually, wasn't actually <laughs> saying a word. Darren, uh, when I was young, uh, I grew up watching Homicide, uh, the old homicide, yeah. you know, detectives. Uh, I've forgotten who, but yeah, famous actors. Uh, Leonard Teal oh. was one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, there, there were two palm trees in Russell Street, which are still there. That uh, I remember the old police car from Homicide used to go past when it went into the Russell Street Police Headquarters. Yeah. Whenever I, I go past that area, I always touch those palm trees and think, my, I used to watch <laughs> these palm trees when I was a little kid in uh, Coffs Harbour. Now, you appeared in City Homicide, which was... Well, yeah, I did an episode of City Homicide. This is quite funny, actually, because I appeared in City Homicide and uh, Noni Hazelhurst, the actress, she played the police commissioner... I presume based on Christine Nixon, and so she's a police commissioner. I was a radio star, and uh, uh, Chanel, my wife at the time, said, do they call you Hitch? I said, no. I said, why not? I said, well, I'll tell you why not. I said, because the, the radio star I play is a hypocrite who gets caught with, with, with prostitutes in a brothel behind 3AW. You know? <laughs> so, yes. so, no, they don't. I'm, I can't remember. I knew name. that, bro. Well, I, I used to drive past that brothel. No, well, no this one, no, that, was, that, was, that was in uh, Park Street, the yes. real brothel. But then in the alleyway behind 3AW, they, for this occasion, they turned somebody else's shop back door into a whorehouse. Ah, right. And so they, I'm there sneaking out of the whorehouse and the door's open with a, uh, a hooker is there in her underwear. And... Uh, I said, hey, this is, 3AW's right next door to this. I said, if, if, if this was a real whorehouse, you might have caught some, in the old days, you might have caught some real 3AW <laughs> late night hosts in there. But, I, but I, yeah, so I, play, I played this um, this hypocrite, apparently, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And were you in the clutches of the sex worker or...? Um, no, 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 I, was, I, was, I can't remember the whole plot line now, but somebody had died and, and, and throughout the... The theme as they tried to find out what was going had gone on, they came across me and and I'd been involved with with, with this with this uh, with this process. I wonder what it would no, be no, like. No, 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 I noticed you. Hey, this is good. I noticed you used the word sex worker. Yeah, well, I was, why don't you say why don't you say prostitute? Well, because Christina Keneally said prostitute uh, in the Parliament, I think, and uh, and, mm. and she was attacked for it. Uh, yes, by, she does. By Fiona Patton, be, I, among yeah, and I people. will be too. Fiona Patton, who was a prostitute, uh, says now you must call them sex workers. Well, you, know, you don't call an accountant a numbers man, do you? I mean, surely. The, the term we all know what the term prostitute is has been around longer than any of us have been for centuries. Well, obviously and they feel that that demeans them. Well, okay, so you, but it's not, you're an accountant, okay? And we, I mean, I find it weird because uh, I don't think it demeans them. And uh, I'm sure and I, I, I've talked to some uh, on air and off air who, and it is a it is a demeaning at times a terribly demeaning job and you do it from necessity and and many people who are who are prostitutes male and female end up turning to drugs or turn from drugs to prostitution um so i'm, I'm not i'm not belittling their cause or whatever but uh, i i don't think that the 
the term uh, should be d- denied. That's all. Well, this would make a, a really an, another good podcast, I, yeah. I, I think, uh, Darren. But, but the reason I sort of asked about the uh, the clutches of the uh, the sex worker was, you know, doing a love scene. <laughs> now, now, I remember you uh, uh, being photographed. You were uh, pretty young in bed with some model and it was on the front page of a magazine. Uh, do you remember that? I do indeed. And the model, model's name was Alison Best and uh, I think her brother's Peter Best, the director. Um, I, was, I, did it, I did it for a, a story for Playboy magazine. This was back in the early ni- late 1970s. Uh, I was in Melbourne. I was broke and I think I got paid $400 to do the story. They also paid for me to fly to Sydney, paid for my hotel, uh, paid for me to... It was meant to be the ultimate dirty weekend, okay? Um, the irony of it was that we, we... I walk in this hotel room at the Hilton in Sydney to see a woman topless having her nipples painted with makeup, which I had never seen before. Um, we did wear our knickers and got into bed, um, and there's a picture of her feeding me grapes and the bed is covered with newspapers, me being a newspaper man. And years later, I remember writing to Ron Walker, the late Ron Walker, and saying, when he was chairman of Fairfax, and saying to him, saying to him, hey, you might want to use this. Like, even when he's distracted, Hench still reads the age because the age was lying <laughs> on the bed. And that was that. But anyway, the weirdest thing about all that was, uh, I think I think John Yost was the editor of Playboy at the time, um, I had I had to write an article about the ultimate duty weekend. You know, take a limo to the airport, have champagne on the way at the Windsor, then do this and this. I named the the girl in the story, Alison, and nobody knew who the, the model was. And it didn't run for about a year, the story. But by that time, I was dating Annette Allison, the Channel O Channel Ten newsreader, and everybody assumed <laughs> that. I'd written the article about her, and it just wasn't true. I, when I wrote it, I'd never, I'd never met her, so it, it caused quite a laugh. But yeah, that story, that picture does pop up occasionally. I must, I must admit, but I can assure you, nothing happened. It was all a professional, professional thing. So, the other TV show that uh, you were involved in uh, was a long-running TV show that I think dates back to the '60s. Had various hosts. Um, Stan Zamanik, uh, John Laws. There was a guy even before John Laws. I can't remember who that was, but it's Eric Bohm. Eric Bohm. That's right. Mm. That's he, exactly he, he right. Started, he did it for years and years and years. They, they ironically, they hired me to do. I, I, I've never actually been fired from it because we. Uh, I, I was doing the. I was filling in for Willisey uh, back in 1981, and uh, and then after the, it en- ended. They hired me to do Beauty and the Beast, and then that was on Channel Seven. Channel Ten then brought out their version with John Laws, so he and I were up against each other. But it was a bizarre show. Um, thing was, Eric Bohm was outrageous, just to be outrageous. Um, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I I had to live with my radio um, audience and my radio persona because I I could only say what I really believed. And ironically, when Beauty and the Beast was my year. I was actually more feminist than most of the females on the panel. It's probably why it didn't last. Um, of course, the questions were all bullshit. You know, they were they were made up by Jackie Weaver used to make money in, during the Eric Bohm days writing questions for Beauty and the Beast, um, and it's understandable that they were made up because if somebody 
wrote to you and said, you know, I'm thinking of committing suicide, what should I do? The show didn't go to air for about nine months. <laughs> so it was rubbish, but there we are. It was, good, it was good fun, it was entertaining, and we had some good good points. We had um, uh, Nolene Brown was on my show, and Jane Priest, who was photographed, she was the girl in the bikini photograph with Prince Charles. Remember that shot? Mm, I do. Do you know it was all set up? I'd heard that, to- yes. Just to change, his, to change his sort of... Um, well, he, he, he was on his tour of Australia and he wasn't getting much attention and Fleet Street needed something to get him on page one. And so they... Appro- and I, Jane's told me this personally. They approached Jane Priest and told her where he would be and when he would be there and the photographer would be there. And so they just happened to have a girl, pretty girl in a bikini run up and throw her arms around Prince Charles and bingo, it was page one of the um, <laughs> page one of the Fleet Street papers. But look, it was a, it was a huge thing. Uh, I was doing three and a half hours of radio every day and then we would record... Uh, Four or, or eight episodes of Beauty and the Beast over two days. So that was like over two days, I was doing 15 hours of radio and television over two days. They'd, they'd fly down to Melbourne sometimes and do it here. Sometimes I'd fly to Sydney and we'd spend Saturday doing it there. You do eight shows, so that means you change your shirt and tie eight times, or your shirt at least, eight times. The girls would change their clothes and do a different different area thing. Um, but I, I enjoyed it, and we, 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 had, we had, some, had some very good times, and, and then it, um, it disappeared. And we never, so I've never been sacked from it. Just, that's one of the jobs I haven't been sacked from, because <laughs> they, just didn't, they just didn't bring it back the next year. What, one of the people I remember was a lady called Ina Howard. Was she, was she on your show? No, no, that was before. That was, she was on with... Um, with Eric Bone. Right. Uh, there was a, there was, um, Nolene Brown was very good. There was a woman whose name I've forgotten who was quite, um, quite acerbic. Um, but it, it look, we, we, we raised good issues in those days. I mean, we raised every, it was, there was nothing was, nothing was, um, was banned, nothing was off the books. I mean, we talk about abortion and, 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 and sexual persuasion, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and, and it went very well. I, well, I, I enjoyed it. I guess it's a way of uh, society debating the big issues of the day with lots of people having their input. Um, yeah. it, was, uh, it, was like talk, it was like talk back on television yeah, in, a, in, a, in an obscure sort I of mean, way. even if the questions were fake, the issues were real. Well, no, that's, that's true. And, and uh, yeah, um, they certainly were. I mean, they, uh, and there were, there were genuine ones as well. There were genuine ones as well. I recall actually speaking of questions and, and advice columns, I got hired once by the Women's Weekly to write an advice column called Dear Desert or Dear Darren, right? And once a month, I'd have to, I got paid very well for it. I had to write these answers to genuine, these were genuine letters from, from uh, readers of the Women's Weekly. And I recall the best one I really enjoyed was once I could actually put as an answer to a question, get a life. <laughs> that was my total advice to some woman, get a life. Um, the, the last two that I quickly wanted to touch on that you're involved in, which Hinch on Seven, we, we have spoken about um, uh, how you got the job and uh, how, how you, you, you know, some of the, 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 the TV, well, it was there that you followed Skase all the way to uh, Mallorca, is it not? Mallorca, um, it's afterwards, yeah. Look, the, um, uh, that was when I was on Channel 10, Hinch, on, on, I had to jo- laugh, I did talk about this, somebody said, why did you call your program Hinch? And I said, well, I was going to call it Willisie, but the name was taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But it was, it, it was it, looking back on it, I mean, it's now regarded as being very strong current affairs. We did things differently. I always opened with a with, with a, an editorial, with an opinion. I'm Darren Inch, you know. Um, did an opening editorial of about a minute and a bit. These days I see people doing editorials of five and six and ten minutes on Sky, which I find is bizarre. But I always about we used to have a running gag. Whoever could whoever was wrong on how long the editorial would run, when when we did put on the auto queue, had to go and buy the fit the chips for the staff that night. And uh, it always ran a minute ten, a minute twelve, a minute fifteen, a minute twenty. So whoever was the furthest out when they typed it up had to go and buy the chips. But um, we did a lot of stuff. We did we did the shame file, and that's where shame, shame, shame virtually started. We did the shame file for repetitive convicted drunk drivers. We then also did the sludge file, which was for people who were dumping uh, dirty crap from restaurants and things down alley, down drains and alleyways. We did that. Actually, uh, now that you're saying that, I remember a story you did about uh, a guy who was using bottled water and pretending it was some water from a mountain somewhere. That's right. They, they were using they were using tap water and selling it as um, as, <laughs> as, as, as bottled mountain water. Yeah, we we managed to get a crew to uh, sh- sh- film where they were actually filling the bottles from. Yeah, we we did that. You had. Um, Pamela Graham, who worked for me on radio and then came with me to television, great journalist. She chased Alex Kenworthy down the street after I accused him of uh, sexual misconduct with uh, some of our radio listeners in the old days, which was proven to be true. And then his son got convicted of rape, so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Darren, I'm sure we're going uh, way over time. Uh, just quickly, Hinch <laughs> on uh, Sky uh, Television. Now, uh, that was at, at night. Um, yeah, Sunday yeah. night. Look, I did, I did and then, then Sunday night, and then I think Thursday or Friday night. Um, and you used to fly look, up to Sydney to do it, or you did that from Melbourne? No, I did it from the Melbourne studio. Uh, we have Melbourne studios down at Docklands, and I did it there. Sometimes I do it from Sydney, from the main studio. Um, when I did Hinch on Sky the first time around, and then I resigned because I was running for the Senate back in those days. Um, yeah, I enjoyed doing it, and they and they weren't as right-wing as they became. Um, then they, after I left the Senate, Sky rehired me to do a Hinch program once a week, and uh, I did it for about oh, three or four months, I suppose, and then they sacked me, and, and they were entitled to... They sacked me because I wasn't far right enough. I mean, I, I'm now thrilled I'm not on Sky. I, I watch Sky during the day. I love their news services. I think Laura Jays is, a, is, is tremendous and, and, and Tom, 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 Tom Connell, etc. But uh, nighttime, Sky After Dark, uh, I, I can't wear. I mean, giving programs to Corey Bernardi and people like... Uh, Bronwyn Bishop and and Rita Panahi and 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 stuff. They are. I, I find the Outsiders a dreadful show. So I, I'm not. I'm not unhappy. Um, I di- didn't mind the income, but I'm not unhappy that they yeah. that they fired me because they. I, I suddenly realised one thing about about television, pay television, Tony, which I should have realised before I started. It's pay television, and people who pay for television, pay to have their opinions reinforced. They don't pay for somebody to come on and say you're wrong. Yeah, and 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 the the pay TV people know that. So in in the end, this is what annoys me about that sort of stuff is it's a product all packaged up to sell to 
the audience they know they want to sell to and they want to well, keep. So it's not well, really people's no, they, true they, they ideas, cater, true they views. Cater for the, uh, they cater for oh, sorry, mate. Um, they cater for the people who, who pay the money, you know. Yeah. They, they pay for the people who pay the money, and uh, and, and that is it. Um, it's I, I didn't realise that before I went there, and suddenly it dawned on me that, as I said, the people who pay to, for, for their television privilege um, want their opinions reinforced. They don't want somebody saying, "Hey, you may be wrong." You know, uh, and, so, so and what you what you wonder, Darren, if the people expressing the opinions on Sky News actually believe those opinions or they're just doing it because they're selling the product? Yeah, well, that, that, that is a question I can't answer. But, uh, it's uh, well, keep in mind, the, Sky has a very um, influential audience because they, most politicians have it on Sky in Canberra, as I did. But and most politicians who appear there. I mean, Craig Kelly. I once said to him, "Do you sleep under a desk at Sky?" Because he <laughs> was always on there. Well, it um, would have had to be a pretty big, big desk because yeah, he's a yeah, big oh, guy. Yeah, true. But, but the the audience is only the peak audience of Sky would be eighty, ninety thousand a, a day a night. Yeah, the biggest show. I mean, Paul Murray rates quite well, but by their standards, he gets eighty, ninety thousand. Sometimes as low as sixty. Peter Credlin, um, Alan Jones, they get. 60,000, 70,000, that's nationally. So that means yeah. in Melbourne, you, if you've got a national audience of 70,000, you've got 5,000 people watching in Melbourne, that's all. I, I want to talk about Peter Credlin in a future uh, podcast. I would do that, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. there's talk about her getting into politics. She'll, and, never, you know, be pre- she'll never be Premier of Victoria. Okay? Yeah, it's just, it's I, I, law. I, I agree with you. Darren, we've gone way over time, okay. I'm sure. Okay, um, we better go. We'll catch up next time. Thank you very much. Talk, talk soon. Bye-bye. Ciao.